So we're in the series of parables. Now, a parable is a simple story that's used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. So a parable doesn't have to be a faith-based story per se, but it illustrates a moral or a spiritual lesson. And sometimes a parable is really clear to understand. You can listen to it. It makes sense. You understand the story. And others have stories within stories. Are there any, um, they, these haven't been here around for a while, but are there any of the Lord of the Rings fans here? I'm one of them. A great one. A few have raised their hands. Brilliant. The rest of you guys, I'll pray for you. Um, and the Lord will work on your heart over time. Chronicles of Narnia, a few fans of those, a few as well. So that's about a third of you. The Lord's still working on the rest of you. Um, you can come for prayer after the service. Pilgrim's Progress and others, those are stories within stories. So you read the books or you watch the movies and there's a story. There's a surface level story. But actually there's an entirely different story at play as you look a little bit deeper. So parables can also be stories within stories. And so Jesus used parables to illustrate truths of the kingdom and lifestyle principles of how we should live, how we should operate on earth in a way that people could relate to in the context in which they lived. So you'll see Jesus as he shared stories. It was about things that everybody was going through. It might have been about farming. It might have been about fishing. It might have been about fields and looking for treasure in fields. It might have been about wineskins, garments, because what was he doing? He was using what everybody knew. Jesus wasn't someone who was complicated to understand. Yes, difficult to follow because we've got mess in our lives. But following Jesus is not complicated. It's hard because of the sin in our lives. So Jesus' stories involved everyday situations that we could relate to. But he used these stories to draw us deeper into a spiritual understanding of what he was doing. He used a surface level story to bring us into something of far greater worth if we could catch it. They aren't just clever stories or wise teachings. They show us the good news of Jesus. They encourage us to analyze our lives, to assess what's happening in our heart, and to attempt to live that out with God's help. So today we're going to start with the parable of the sower. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you haven't. It's found in three books of the Bible. Uh, they are called the Gospels, three of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, found in different passages. They were his close followers. Those are really known as the biographies of Jesus. And so this is where they're found. And John is the other gospel that it isn't found in. And so we're going to be mainly in Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen. And so we're going to read together from verse 13. This is what it says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. I mean, Jesus was surrounded. What he had to say was electric, particularly for those who weren't Christ followers. That's who surrounded him. Sadly, it was the religious people of the day, the ones who were attempting to be good on their own merit, who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But those who were broken, those who were messed up, those who understood their need of Christ, he was electric to be around. And so the crowd was so big, he got onto a boat so he could speak from just a few meters out into the sea. And uh, the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables, and this is the one that he says today. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, 
they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So that last phrase that I'd love to key in for each of us here today is that part where it says, he who has ears, let him hear. That's what Jesus would say to each of us today. It doesn't matter where you are on the journey of faith. He's not talking about whether we're deaf or actual physical hearing. He's talking spiritually, and he's saying, will you listen to what I have to say today? Will this just be a tick on the box Sunday, or will this be a Sunday where you go, actually, I'm going to listen to, and I'm going to draw close to what the Lord might be saying to me today? So we, we obviously, surface level, we've got a story of a person planting a seed, but there is something deeper at play. And from verses 10 to 17, we won't look at them now, but Jesus explains why he used stories. He says, because they have the power to open spiritual eyes. It's what he wants to do for each of us today. Those who recognize the spiritual truth within the parable were those who had opened themselves, opened their hearts to the work of Jesus in, in their lives. It's my prayer for each of us here today, that we would open up our hearts to his work. Those who stood and went, ah, oh, it's just fantasy. It's just a surface level story. What a great wives tale, Jesus. What a fun work of fiction. Nice, but not for me. Maybe faith is for somebody else, but, but I'm okay. I'm doing well on my own. Everything's ticking along fine. Unfortunately, for people in that camp, the story ends at a surface level and nothing goes deeper. But if you're prepared to open your heart today, he'll show you something amazing. And so whether you're an explorer here, whether you're a new believer had many people baptized recently and we're going to do that again in a few weeks time so if you haven't been baptized you can start signing up but we've got people who are still exploring in the room we've got people who are new believers people who've known Jesus for a long time ask him to open your eyes right now in fact let's just quickly pray uh, Lord Jesus it's easy for us to just to just move past a passage that we might have heard before to just do a Sunday service out of a habit. Today, Holy Spirit, would you, would you draw us closer? Today, would you do what only you can do? Would you do heart surgery for us? Would we not leave here the same? Holy Spirit, would you just work? Thank you, Lord. So then verse 18, we've done that. He's explained the stories. Now he goes on to explain the parable. And we're going to dive into this in more depth. So he says, verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on the count of the word, on the account of Jesus, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Doesn't be what it could be. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, another 30. So before we unpack the explanation of the sower, let's set a framework, just so we understand who's who in the story. The sower is God himself. The sower is Jesus. An important thing for us all to note is that God always acts first in your life and mine. 
He is the one who sows the seed. He's the first mover. We respond to him, but he is always the one who is reaching out to us more than we could ever reach towards him. He's the first mover in our lives. He reaches to us. He created us for a relationship with him. He died on the cross before any of us turned to him. He does that today. He acts first. That's God in the story, the sower of the seed. Secondly, what's the seed? It says there, the seed is the word or the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. So if the sower is God, the seed is his word. It's his word that he sends out, that reaches us through reading the word, through hearing his word, through the preached message. It's what we hear when the good news of Jesus is shared from scripture clearly, authentically, truthfully. That is his word coming to us. And so if you want to know what Jesus is saying to you, if you want to know what he's like, read his word. Read scripture. If you want to know what God is like, read this for yourself. We can so often be very good at having an idea of what God is like from what somebody else has said. Or from what a preacher has said on TV. Or me for that matter. But if you really want to know what he's like... Get stuck into this. Read it. Start somewhere. As I've said, maybe it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But start reading. Make it a daily habit. Then you'll find out what the sower is like. What he's saying to you. It's the only thing that can produce anything of value. It is the only seed that has the potential to create something incredible in your life and mine that lasts beyond this lifetime. There's other types of seed. Other types of things that we can receive from that can do work in our lives that have benefit. There is no other seed that can have benefit beyond the grave but his. None. It's the only seed that has that capacity. And then there's different types of land. There's the path. There's rocky ground. There's land full of thorns. And there is good soil. And this is the state of your heart and mine. One of those four categories. The state of your heart and mine. The land types show our openness to receive the Lord into our hearts and live for his kingdom during life on earth. And as we go through this message, it's my prayer that the Lord would highlight so clearly to you which part of the land you are. Which of those four are you seated in right now and what must you do to move to a different type of land? That's my prayer. And you'll know as we share and as we go through this, you'll know exactly which part of land you're in. And then it's whether you open yourself up to let God move you. To another. So the first one, the path. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, a path by its nature is compacted, it's hard. Nothing really sticks to it. You bounce a ball on it, it bounces up towards you. A ball might roll down it and off it. Something you can ride on easily compared to softer ground. You won't find seed sinking deep and snug into a path. When our hearts are hard to the things of God, it means that we don't have the capacity to hear his word and for it to change our hearts. It just bounces off. It doesn't set root in us. It doesn't change us. It doesn't transform us. We hear it, but we don't really hear it. If you know what I'm saying, we, we, we hear it at a surface level. But we don't really hear it at a spiritual level. It never changes us. It just bounces off. It doesn't settle deep. The path is those whose hearts are so hard that the word of God can't penetrate. Before the seed is planted, it says it's snatched away by birds. And the birds represent the very real enemy that's alive in your life and mine, the devil, in this world. And he's dead set on preventing anyone coming to faith. 
He's called the deceiver. He's called the father of lies. He blinds the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. And he is very much at work in the world. Just as much as there's a God, there is an enemy. He's very much at work. The path refers to anyone who rejects the good news of Jesus. Anyone who says, nah, it's not for me. It's great, great message. Maybe it's for other people. Church might be for you. It's not for me. I can do it on my own. That's the path. And it's heartbreaking. It's someone saying, Jesus, I know that you've said this, but it's okay. I'm going to go my own way. I know this is the way that you say I should live. But you know what? I think I can make my own calls, so I'm going to go this way. That is the path life. The sad thing with that, the devastating thing with that, is that one day for eternity, we get what we ask for. On earth, Jesus continues to draw, and he continues to draw us in. And if we say for our whole lives, Jesus, it's okay. I don't need you. Thank you for dying on the cross, but actually I don't need it. I can do it on my own. The moment that we die, we get exactly what we want, but in its fullness. We get life apart from God for all eternity, which is hell. That's the absence of the goodness of God. Now, whether you're Christ follower or not, there's still sparks of goodness. That's God's work in the world. It's him trying to show us that we have an opportunity to follow him. But once eternity comes, once you and I, our lives end on earth, there's no more deciding and we've chosen and we get exactly what we chose. It's exactly the choice on earth, separation from God, the absence of anything good forever. And so there's many things that can lead to a hard heart, upbringing, broken relationships, pain, pride, and more. But if you're sitting here today and you know at the moment your heart state is the path, You've walked in here and you've gone, you know, a friend invited me and maybe I've come for a few Sundays. But to be honest, this faith stuff isn't really for me. It's not really, I can kind of do it on my own. Can I plea with you? Can I, can I encourage you? Can I ask you? Can I challenge you to take a step to just explore? To just explore a bit deeper. To just open your heart slightly to say, maybe, just maybe this is for real. Maybe, just maybe for this river, today is the day that you can allow the sower to plow up the hard path and make it into soft soil that his seed can reach. But you've got to allow him. You have to allow him to do that, to allow the seed of the kingdom to set root in your heart. And so allow him to do that today. I'll pray for you, but allow him to do that in your life today. Second one, the rocky ground. That's first person type. Next one, the rocky ground. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. That's the first part. Next part, the explanation. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the seed is able to settle on the rocky ground. There's a little bit of soil. So the seed does settle. It settles root. God's word touches someone's heart. But because there's just a little bit of good soil amongst the rocks, the roots don't go deep. So the roots go in, and then immediately it sprouts. Because it's been a short time of root growth, immediately it sprouts. And so everything looks great on the outside, but there hasn't been a depth on the inside. It looks like a great start, but as the sun rises... This is what's so interesting. As the sun rises, a picture of difficulty in life. As the heat comes, 
There's not the root structure to draw moisture and nutrients from. And so the plant withers. We would see this in everyday life. Unless a plant can put down strong, healthy roots, it will not be able to stand strong in tough weather conditions or even the ordinary flow of life, the sun rising and falling. There's little lasting fruit that's seen. It survives, but only just. So in a spiritual sense, what is this? It's someone who receives Jesus. You ask Jesus into your heart. You're a Christ follower. You open your heart to Christ. And it appears that faith is growing quickly. So on the outside, and it happens really, really fast. It's uh, maybe a radical change. Give your life to Christ. And then it appears like everything's happening at church every week, joining a connect group, serving, getting involved in church life. Sharing about Jesus changing your life. The corners are being cut in places that nobody sees externally. Faith corners are getting cut in places that nobody sees. There isn't a personal growth in relationship with Jesus as priority. There isn't a daily in the quiet place at home reading of his word, spending time with him, wanting to personally grow with Christ, not truly allowing Jesus to change our lives. And so God is at work, but not in every part of our life, not in every aspect of our life. He's working, but not as much as he could be. Not when we're alone, not when no one else is around. And here's what's interesting. The problem of the heart is only seen under difficulty. So when things are going easy, you can last for a matter of months, maybe a year, maybe two months. And actually on the outside to everybody else, it looks like things are great. That person's growing in their faith. Maybe even to you, you're like, oh, things are good. And I'm, you know, understanding a bit from the Bible. I'm enjoying church life. You only see whether your heart is rocky ground when trial comes. But that's also a blessing in disguise because it can show you what's actually happening in your heart as well. It's only when the sun comes in full force, when trials arise, that the actual depth of your faith and mine is shown. And maybe you're seeing this in operation in your life. Maybe you're excited for God when things are going well. When everything's going well, business is well, family is well, health is well, brilliant, I love church and I love getting involved in connect groups. The minute things get difficult, the first thing to go is talking to Jesus. The first thing to go is reading your Bible. The first thing to go is coming to church. Depression sets in. It's a rocky ground heart. And we need to be able to see this as it happens. The minute something hard strikes, our passion for God fizzles out. When the going gets tough, Jesus isn't usually the first port of call in our lives. And so if that's your state of heart today, if you feel like you're rocky ground, what can you do to become a healthy, strong, producing plant? What can you and I do? Well, first, you take time to grow a strong root structure. Make Jesus your priority. Help your children to make Jesus their priority. Let Christ be involved in every aspect of your life. We shared a bit on this last week, but it's really easy for us to go, mm, there isn't fishing, there isn't sport on, there isn't this, there. Ah, oh, I can go to church this Sunday. Brilliant. And then what happens, particularly for parents, what happens in our children's lives is they go, okay, yeah, so Jesus is important when nothing else is happening in our lives that we could be doing. Oh, then, then, then church is at the bottom of the rung and spending time with Jesus at the bottom of the rung. And so then it suddenly gets to our children being 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I had this a lot when I worked with teenagers. And suddenly parents would come to me and they'd say, it's just terrible. My children don't even know Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. What can I do? And I'd say the hard thing is, is that for eight years, for nine years, for 10 years, you've been proving to them that Jesus isn't important. You've been showing them with your actions, with your life, that he doesn't matter. 
And now they're just living it out. They're just outworking what you've shown them. And so it's a huge challenge for each of us. I'm a parent as well, not perfect in this. But it's a huge challenge for us to daily live out our lives. And don't beat yourselves up if you're sitting and going, oh my goodness, that's me in my personal life and in my family. You can make a change today. God's so good, he will help to make a change today. So grow your friendship with him. Take yourself out of the driving seat and put him in the driving seat. He's in control anyway, but while sometimes we love to think we are. He's always in control. He rules and reigns supreme. But we love to believe that we actually are. It's just not a fun place to be, especially when things get tough. Allow him to change and transform you. Because friends, the sun is going to rise and bring heat. It's inevitable. This world is a mess. It's broken. Our bodies are frail. We live in tough and difficult scenarios. Living for Christ in this broken world is not going to be easy. It's full of joy. It's full of hope. It's full of purpose. But it's not easy. And one thing we'll never tell you here at Hope Church is to place our hopes in this lifetime. We'll never tell you that. Those will always fail. There's hope in someone who gives us life beyond the grave. Jesus has not promised the perfect life on earth. Yes, in heaven, but not here. Do we see him do amazing things here? Yes. Do we see him provide amazingly? Yes. Do we celebrate times with him? Yes. But is it ever going to be perfect? No. So we don't seek after that. We seek after him. So we can't escape tribulation and persecution. Just so you know the definitions, tribulation refers to the whole spectrum of suffering. Tribulation refers to disease, death, um, any other sufferings you might face, pain and everything else. Persecution is specific to, for the gospel of Jesus. It's specific to trials related to people knowing that you are a Christ follower. That's the difference between the two. Disease, tragedy, poverty, the like, tribulation. Persecution, specific suffering in relation to our faith as Christ followers. Mocking, ridicule, torture, death. It was amazing to see someone we as a church every month give to, um, to help support the persecuted church. In Africa, I did a preach just a few hours flight from us. The most Christians killed each year, uh, northern Nigeria. And uh, so we give to that. We want to help the church there as much as we can. But it was so, it was so beautiful to see someone who had put in an additional offering last week to just say, I'd love this to go to the persecuted church. It was just so special to see because we live in just such an easy way of life. And sometimes that's a negative because we take Jesus for granted. But that's persecution which we may well face. We will experience these things in some form or another on earth. And it's a strong relationship with Jesus. It's putting down roots before the sun is at full blaze that will allow you to survive and ultimately come out the other side thriving in the life Jesus has called you to. Put down strong roots before the sun is at full temperature at midday. Put down strong roots in the cool of the day, in everyday life, before the blazing heat is too much and it's too late at that point in time. And then it's hard to put in strong roots later. And it's important that we process this before it happens. Know how you're going to respond to trials ahead of time. This is, not, this is not a terrible mentality where we're sitting going, oh my goodness, around every corner something terrible is going to happen. Oh my goodness, there's something wrong with my body. I need to get a test every week. And we, we never travel and we have so much security at our house because we're terrified. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying it's good for us to process ahead of time what happens if somebody falls sick in our family. What happens if there is a tragedy? What happens if I do lose my job? Talk about this husband and wife if you're married. Talk about this with your kids. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do first as a family? We're going to pray. 
We're going to get hold of some friends to say, come pray with us. We're going to seek counsel. We're going to turn to Jesus, not the other way around. Have that set in your mind, because when the sun comes, a lot of the time we think with instinct. We don't have time to sit and process in tough times. So think of it ahead of time. It'll become part of your life that in tough times you turn the way that you should, and then Jesus pulls you through. Luke talks about the plant, the reason why it withers under the sun is because it has no moisture. In the translation, that's what Luke says. It reminded me of the verse from John where Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, spiritual thirst, life thirst, come to me and drink. So Jesus is the source. If you want your roots to go deep, it's not actually in attending church every Sunday. It's not actually in ticking the box of serving. Those are great outworkings. It's actually in daily coming to the source. It's daily going, Jesus, I need you and I want to know you more. Daily, in the car when you're driving, at home, together as a husband and wife, by yourself. That's what it is, coming to him, the source. And the invitation is there right now. Whether you feel you're withering or not, come. Be refreshed. Come each day. That's the rocky ground. Land of thorns. Land of thorns. It says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So the thorns, or weeds in some translations, are incredibly destructive when it comes to gardening. You can put in all the work, think about it in your garden if you like gardening at the start, but if you don't keep a watchful eye on weeds and thorns, your plants will not be as amazing as they could be. They will slowly but surely be taken over by the, by the thorns and the weeds until they just don't display the beauty that they could. And so in a spiritual sense, the thorns that prevent spiritual growth and impact in our lives, Jesus says it, and he says it clearly. He says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness or the lies of riches. And a care of the world, to give you a bit of explanation, is anything that you and I care about when we see life on earth as all that there is. That's what a care of this world is. If the world in which we live is it for you and I, that's what we care about. That's a care of this world when we don't believe that there is another story, that there is a spiritual story at play that's actually far more real than the earthly story. That's a care of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches is the belief that our resources can provide us with what only Jesus can. That's the deceitfulness of riches. And Jesus is pretty clear. When we care about other things more than his kingdom, and we start to fix our eyes on earthly wealth and possessions as our source of safety, comfort, and joy, we begin to live an ineffective kingdom life. He's clear. They're the weeds. They're the thorns. They prevent us from living and producing effective fruit when we think about those two things in ways that we shouldn't. So don't allow wealth to lie to you. Don't let it give you a false sense of joy, of comfort, of success, of worth, of value. Only Jesus can give that. Is wealth a blessing? Yes. Can we use it for his kingdom? Yes. Does it satisfy? No. I've shared this often, but how do we know if thorns are choking our kingdom effectiveness? How do you and I know? It's easy. And I'd encourage you, we need to do this regularly. I'd encourage you to do this when you get home. Get out a piece of paper, sit before God, and assess your thoughts your focus, your motives, where you spend your time and your talents, your financial resources, and it will give you a very clear indi indication of the thorns that are at work in your life. And sit before him honestly and just say, Lord Jesus, would you show me the thorns? 
he would love to answer that question. We might like to shut our minds off to what he might be saying, but he will most definitely be answering and we have to be open to that. It's a question he'd love to answer. And so get real and honest. Look at your possessions, write them down. Write it down. If you own a house, write down a house, vehicles, bank accounts, do that. Look at your calendar and your time. What fills your time? Weekends. Think about your kids and your focus and your motives if you have kids of your kids. What do I really care about for them? Is it them following Jesus or is it about the private school they're at? Is it them following Jesus or is it the university they go to? I mean, do all of this. So to assess your motives, I'm going to do it for you, but you can do this. Um, if you're young and you're thinking about marriage, why, am I, why do I want to get married? What's the motive? Um, if I'm saving money in my bank account, why? What's the motive? So, so do that. And it'll be challenging. And then as you write down those things, Ask God to show you how much of it is orientated towards the kingdom of God. How much of those things, thoughts, motives, time, money, is orientated to the kingdom of God. And it will always show you. I mean, Charles Wesley always said, hey, that uh, famous thing that the last thing to be converted is our bank account. Um, And it's true. I think our time and our bank account will absolutely show us what we're living for, 100%. Very easy for each of us to see that. So ask God to show you. And then after that, ask him how to make a change. He'll tell you. Ask him what to change. Ask him what to change when it comes to your personal life, your marriage, your kids, your money, your possessions. Ask him. He's so good, he'll tell us. And it'll be the most freeing thing ever. Might not be easy, but it'll be the most freeing thing. Might be some changes to make in how you operate as a family. Might be changes to how weekends happen might be a change to, um, to, to what you do with your resources. But he'll show you and then take that step of faith and you will never regret it. It'll lead you into the exhilarating life he's called you to. Don't settle for mediocrity in the Christian life. Don't go through the motions. Kill the thorns. Rip them out. Rip them out of your heart so the plant that God's put in your heart can grow. Don't build storehouses on earth that will be burnt to nothing in eternity. Don't allow fear to prevent you from being obedient to Jesus. With our goals, we're going through a set of stories about heroes of the faith. People who risked it all to see the gospel go to China, to smuggling Bibles into Nazi Germany, South America. We want to read these with our goals. Why? Because we want them to know that what's most important, more than anything else to us, is that they follow Jesus with everything. It's what matters more than anything. And that's what we want them to know. So we're trying to learn this the same and we don't do it well all the time. Sarah and I are trying to read a devotional together. She's a lot more dedicated to it than me. And she does have to remind me on it. And I think we're now catching up. So I think we're doing like four a night because we had a few bad weeks. But we're wanting to grow and invest in each other and invest in ourselves personally. And so, so do that as well. We're always learning. Come humbly before Jesus. Allow him to do some weed and thorn control. This story before we close, the last one is um, uh, The Good Soil isn't as long. Uh, it's in a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And he talks about this man preaching. And at the end, this grandpa starts coming down in tears, hobbled over, but in tears. Hobbles, 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 comes to the front. And this preacher comes down and wants to pray for him. And all this grandpa can say is just, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. And he prayed for him that he would have significance in the next few years of his life before he died. But don't get to the end of your days and go, I've wasted it living on things that don't really matter. Get to the end of your days. And even now, if you're feeling older, you can make a decision to get to the end of your days. We never know when they'll be going, I've lived for what matters. 
I've lived for what matters. Good soil. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, another 30. Being fruitful is mentioned a number of times in scripture. A healthy, productive plant is this amazing picture of growth, of what spiritual lives could be. But what does it look like for you and I? Because in our fallen world, success is measured very differently to God's kingdom. It's usually measured in business growth, financial holdings, personal possessions, children's academic and sporting abilities, and more. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, right? Effectiveness in his kingdom will never look the same as the earthly sense. It can't because his kingdom, which he said, is not of this world. It's entirely different. So effectiveness in God's kingdom will look very different to effectiveness in societies. So how do we produce spiritual fruit? How do we be productive and effective? Four key ways, four short ways. Firstly, the condition of our heart before him. It's having soft soil ready to receive his word each day. It's being ready to listen and obey. Saying, God, I want to keep myself soft. I don't want to harden my heart. I don't want to become a path. I don't want to become rocky ground. Keep my heart soft. Be sensitive and open to his call. Secondly, it's being faithful with the gifts and talents God's given you and me. It's not trying to be someone else. Bearing fruit is about running in our lane. God's given every single person here in this room a specific and unique purpose for his kingdom. No one else can fulfill it. He's mapped it out for you too. So we run in our lane. We don't compare ourselves. We run hard, but in our own lane. We're available for how he wants to use us in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. Stay-at-home mom, missionary overseas, inventor, business leader, entrepreneur, teacher, using everything we have to say, God, I'm available. Use it for your kingdom. The exciting thing about fruit, this is what I love, is that it contains seed that has the potential to produce further fruit. Once God's kingdom is inside you and you're allowed to bear fruit, the inevitable overflow is that his word travels from person to person as a result of you allowing it to produce fruit in your heart. And people see it and people notice. And that seed can be sown into their heart. And God's kingdom continues to advance as we share the gospel. It's a beautiful thing that can happen as we allow Jesus to produce fruit in our hearts. Thirdly, producing fruit takes time. We live in the instant gratification phase of our world. We want it now. If you live sold out for Jesus, you'll bear much fruit with patience. You won't see change overnight, but Jesus will use your life for something greater than you could imagine. Not to make you look great, but for others to see him. And fourthly, Producing kingdom fruit creates eternal reward that might only be seen in heaven. Some of our fruit will never be known to anyone except Jesus. He alone sees our motives. He alone sees what we do in secret. He alone sees what we don't do, what we do do. So we don't need to be seen by others or receive earthly recognition. Eternal reward is the best, wisest, and safest place to store treasure. Bank it in heaven's bank, not here. Bank it up there.